Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be. And as you're seated, let me invite you to pray together with me and ask for the Lord's help and his blessing as we open up this passage of Scripture. Uh, God, we come to you this morning and we come in the confidence that through Jesus Christ, we are your beloved children. And we come asking that you would draw us towards Jesus that you would show us the goodness of Jesus, that those of us that have not yet put our trust and our faith in Jesus, that we would do so, 
that we would see that he is incomparably good and gracious and merciful towards us in love, that we would respond to him with joyful obedience and acceptance of that mercy. Uh, God, we ask that you would help us to see wonderful things in your word now. I ask that you'd help me to speak clearly and plainly from your word in ways that are helpful. In Jesus' name we say, we pray. Amen. Well, one of my favorite Bible verses in the whole of Scripture comes from Psalm 31, verse 19. I'm going to read it for you. There the psalmist writes, How great is your goodness. How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. I love this psalm because it reminds me of just how abundantly good God is. This morning, I want to just tell you, God is really, really good. In fact, he's better than you yet realize. He's better than you yet realize whether you've been walking with Jesus for 30 or 40 or 50 years already, or if this Sunday happens to be the very first Sunday you've walked into a church because you're curious about the goodness of Jesus. He is so abundantly good, better than you realize. And in all of your fears and all of your anxieties that you have, because you're real people like me, and all of your successes and all of your wins and all of your ups and your downs and your weaknesses and your sufferings, God wants you to take refuge in his goodness. He wants you to take refuge in his goodness so you would learn to live life well as a person taking refuge in his goodness. This morning, we're beginning our eight-week series, a new series in the goodness of Jesus. An eight-week series looking at the goodness of Jesus because Jesus is the one we can look to who has revealed to us all the fullness of God. All the fullness of who God is in his goodness is seen in Jesus. Because who is Jesus? Jesus is God himself become human to live among us and to save us. And if there's anywhere to look at to see who is God like, what is he like in his wonder and his goodness, we can look at Jesus. If you're wondering this morning, how do I come to know God? Look at Jesus. How can I grow in knowing the goodness of God? Look at Jesus. If you're wondering, how can I be changed as a human being? I want to say, look at the goodness of Jesus. It's here in seeing him that we receive all that goodness poured out on us that God wants us to have. So we're starting today looking at the goodness of of Jesus, who reveals the fullness of the goodness of God. And we're starting with this story that we just read uh, from Matthew chapter 3, the story of Jesus' baptism. And in the story of Jesus' baptism, God shows us his own goodness in two significant ways. There we see the goodness of Jesus in that Jesus is the one who has finally come to purify us from the stain of our sin. Number two, we see in this text that Jesus is the one who has come to to bring us who have been separated from relationship with God into the very heart of the love of God. 
Jesus is good because he's come to purify us from the stain of our sin. He's come to reconcile us and bring us into the love of God. So we're going to just jump right into this text and start to unpack it. And the good news is we're not going to look at the whole passage. So don't worry. It's not going to be a, a super, super, super long sermon looking at the whole thing. We'll start at verse 13 in particular and make our way uh, in the, the passage about Jesus' baptism in, in specific. So look at verses 13 to 14 together with me as we start. And our first point, Jesus is good because he's come to purify us from the stain of our sins. And there we read Matthew's words. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And this passage, what's happening is that Jesus is coming from the region of Galilee, named after the Lake of Galilee. And he travels down the Jordan River to a place that's in the arid wilderness just north of the Dead Sea. If you've ever gone to Israel and then swum in the sea or floated in the sea, you know where that is. And he comes to this place where this man named John the Baptist is hard at work baptizing people, the people of Israel, for repentance, to prepare them for the way of the Lord, for the, the God who is coming to save them. And as Jesus arrives to be baptized by John, John protests. He says, what are you doing? He says, I need to be baptized by you. This is not the way it's supposed to work. Do you come to, to me? And the question for us, I think, is why does John protest Jesus' baptism? Well, Jesus protests, or John protests, rather, Jesus' baptism because John knows that his ministry of baptism was only given to him by God to prepare the way for someone far greater than him. His ministry was about preparing the way for this greater person who would come. And we see this in the way that the gospel writer, Matthew, introduces John to us earlier in the chapter. As you look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, we read there these words. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What did he preach? Here are his words. Repent! <laughs> The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Matthew resumes and he keeps explaining John and he says, this is happening because John is the one, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. There's a prophecy about who John is. and The prophecy goes like this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. See, Matthew quotes Isaiah's prophecy to explain who John is. Who is John? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And that means that John's entire ministry was a ministry of preparation. And he embraced it. Just stop and think about that for a second. Think about John living his life and, and working and, and serving the Lord. His whole ministry was devoted not to being in the spotlight. His whole ministry was devoted to shining the spotlight on somebody else. His whole ministry was on preparing the way for Jesus. His whole ministry was on directing the attention of as many people as he could to the arrival of God in his mercy and his goodness. His ministry was to churn others to God in repentance in anticipation of the day when he would finally come to save them. 
I think that's remarkable. I think it's remarkable for a couple of reasons, but, but at least one of them is that this is so significant because of how it is different than the way that we live our lives. Because we're people who want to bring attention to ourselves all the time. We want to be esteemed and thought well of by others. Right? That's what social media gets by on. Right? It's a, a whole system of, of being praised and esteemed by others or trying to attain that praise and esteem from others. Have you guys ever looked at a, a picture of yourselves in a group? Who did you look to first? Did you look at yourself? I look at myself first, I'll be honest. And, and there's, a, there's this, I, this reality where, where we are people that are wired to, to be esteemed and make well of ourselves. We want to do it all the time. But we see in John's ministry of preparation that part of the goodness of Jesus is simply that it is a goodness that isn't about us. Part of the goodness of Jesus is that it is a goodness that isn't about us. That Jesus is so good because he draws our attention off of our self-consumed vanity and back onto the God who is worthy of our worship and our adoration and our praise. Isn't that awesome? It's part of the goodness of what he came to do to free us from the trap of the social media vanity and self-consumption of ourselves and our own culture that was also operating in John's day. And that's super important. I think it's important to drive down deep and to realize even then in a moment, uh, for a moment here on a Sunday morning, all that happens here on a Sunday, it's not really about us either. It's not really about us either. I had a comment, I saw a comment recently by someone, it was a, someone complaining to a pastor saying, hey, I didn't like the worship this morning. And the pastor said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> See, nothing that we do here at Christ City Church is primarily about us. It's about getting caught up in something far greater than us in the worship of God who is awesome and wonderful in his goodness. That's what we come here every Sunday to do. It's all about him. We benefit from that goodness. It's like an overflow that cascades down on us and gives us life and we experience that. But it's all about him. And the blessing of John's ministry was that every word and every act of John's life was to point everyone around away from himself and towards the one who is coming. The one who is incomparably greater than him. And the way John prepared the people was by preaching a simple message of repentance from sin. He said in verse 2, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a fairly basic hard-hitting, straight-up message saying, God is coming and you got to be ready. He's coming, but to be ready to be the one that he comes to save, we got to turn from our sins that we don't get caught up in his judgment. And what's interesting is that that very clear, very hard-hitting, straightforward message was super popular at the time of Jesus. All these crowds are coming down in droves to John to repent of their sin, to be baptized in the Jordan River as a symbol. They were churning away from their past life and turning towards God in repentance and obedience in anticipation that Jesus was coming to save them. And yet even John's baptism, it was so good and 
was responded to so well, it only anticipated a greater washing from sin that was coming. The washing from sin that Jesus alone could accomplish. Because on our own, we can't cleanse ourselves from our sin. A number of years ago, my wife and I, we lived in Kentucky. And when we travel home, we'd have to travel sometimes to a different airport to try and save a little bit of money. And uh, one Christmas, we drove from Louisville, Kentucky to Indianapolis. Takes a couple hours uh, to fly home. But on the way to Indianapolis, uh, it was pouring rain, super dark. I come to the top of a hill and I hit a skunk in my car. And I'm pretty sure I exploded that skunk underneath my car and let every last ounce of its stench just was all over my undercarriage. So I get to our hotel. We had to spend the night in Indianapolis to leave early in the morning. And I get to our hotel, and in my embarrassment and my shame, I park my car as far away from the entrance to the hotel as I possibly could. And the next morning, I wake up, and I come down into uh, the hotel lobby, and I'm checking out of the hotel, and I'm like, what's that smell? And I realize the skunk that I brought into the parking lot has made its way through the parking lot and into the hotel lobby. So I quickly check out and try to make sure no one sees which vehicle I go to uh, as, as I leave to, to, to get away with the stench of the smell. I'm gone for a few weeks to come back and my car still reeks. I couldn't believe it. And I washed it, I don't know how many times. I filled the, the, the carpets up with coffee because I was told that actually can, can bring the smell or, or relieve the smell a little bit. But there's nothing that I could do by my efforts to remove the stain of the smell in my car couldn't do it. I wasn't able to do it. But with your sin and with my sin, it's the same, isn't it? Because it's something that stinks. And there's a stench in our, in our sin that, that permeates our own souls, our own persons as human beings and pollutes them. It pollutes our hearts and our actions it gets into our relationships with other people and wrecks them. It gets into our relationship with God and, and wrecks it. And no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to be able to, to clean up our sin by ourselves. We're not able to cleanse ourselves from our own sin. And yet, even though that's the case, it's a human universal that we really try. I'm going to give you a couple examples of the ways that we try to cleanse ourselves from our, our sins. One, one example is this Hindu festival of Kumbh Mela. It occurs every 12 years in India. It's a festival that includes a ritual bathing in the confluence of three rivers for the purification of sins that have been accumulated in this life or in the past life. And it's, uh, it's this purification to free yourself from the cycle of, of death and rebirth. And there's Four different pilgrimage sites you can go to to be cleansed. And in 2013, the last time the festival happened, there were 30 million people that went to be cleansed from their sins. Another example, of course, is blood sacrifice. It's been so common in all kinds of different cultures to try to purify ourselves from our sins and have a right relationship with God or with the gods through blood sacrifice. It's well documented that among those blood sacrifices, there's some pretty famous ones. And one, some scholars say, in 1487, 80,000 people were sacrificed on Huitzil Pochli's temple in Cactus Rock, which later became Mexico City. 
a four-day period up to 80,000 people sacrificed in an effort to be made right with the gods. And in John's day, there was a group of radically religious people that were trying to purify themselves in a different way, maybe a more familiar way for us. What they did is they, they removed themselves from society and they moved into the desert, actually partly in fulfillment of the same Isaiah prophecy that Matthew uh, quoted. And, and they thought, well, if we could go to the desert, we can prepare the way of the Lord if we try really, really, really hard to follow his law. If we do enough good things following the law of God, that will make God happy with us and he'll come again and he'll save us. So humankind has always tried to be clean from our sin and to cleanse ourselves from the stain of our sin. And we try too, don't we? We try as well. I think most often we try like that Qumran community that moved out into the wilderness in Jesus' day or just before Jesus came. And we try really hard when we've done something bad. Well, I'll just try and do more good things. Right? I'll try to make it up through my efforts. And, and somehow I, I, can, I can work really hard and it will kind of cover that bad thing with more good things and it's going to be okay. And then sometimes we get really discouraged in that effort. And when we go looking for different waters to cleanse ourselves in, and the waters we turn to, I think, first of all, are the psychological waters. And we think, well, let's play some mind games then. And I'll try to repeat the situation over and over and over in my mind to prove to myself that I was actually in the right. And if that doesn't work, we, we go to the waters of therapy and we try to deal with our shame and our guilt and let's get rid of them. And then if we don't have them, then I don't have to worry about them anymore. And oftentimes we turn to the waters of philosophy for a cleansing and we say, well, it's all relative anyway. There's not really a right or wrong. And if it's not really a right or wrong, then why am I so upset about what I've done? And if that doesn't work, we say, well, you know what? We can have a theological answer. If there's no God, then there's no one to answer to anyway, and I'll be okay. We do all these things to be pured, purified from our sin. We all strive for a way to wash away the guilt and the shame we experience from our sin. But the problem is that we aren't able to clean ourselves, just like I was unable to make my car smell good. Time had to do that for me. I had to have hands off, nothing I could do. In the same way, there's nothing we can do to purify ourselves from our sin, but Christ said, the good news is that the goodness of Jesus teaches us he came to do what we could not do. He came to purify us from sins that we could not purify ourselves from. And John the Baptist knew it. His whole ministry was pointing to the greater one who is coming. And in Matthew 3.11, he said, I baptize you crowds with water. But listen up. There's someone coming after me who's mightier than me and whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He's so glorious and wonderful. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire not just with water. See, the Holy Spirit and fire, they speak of a baptism far beyond any cleaning we can accomplish on our own. Because what we need to be cleansed from our sin is two things. We need to actually be changed, Christ City. Because what good is painting the barn if it's still a barn? What good is whitewashing the tomb if there's still corpses on the inside. We need to be made right deep within ourselves. And that's a work that God alone accomplishes by the Holy Spirit. 
We need a second thing. We need purification through the judgment that our sins actually deserve. Justice needs to actually be done. But we have a problem because if you and I stand before the judgment of God by ourselves, that just means that we no longer are in the picture. (laughs) We're wiped out. Because our sins must be burnt away through the fire of God's justice. John knows this. He knows that there's a Holy Spirit and a fire baptism coming, someone who can actually purify from sin. So imagine this moment then, because John's there one Sunday day preaching and baptizing, preparing the way, and he looks up, and on the hill coming towards him is Jesus. The one his whole life has been about. And he looks up and he says, Jesus, what are you doing? I need to be baptized by you, not the other way around. Jesus, of course, says, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. So why is Jesus baptized? Why did he come? After all, the crowds, not Jesus, needed to be cleansed from their sins. Well, Christ City, what we need to know is that Jesus was baptized to symbolize the way that he was a Savior who'd come to wash humanity clean from our sin. Jesus was baptized to symbolize the way that he alone was the one who'd come to bring humanity into the water and purify us where we could not purify ourselves. By uniting us together, not just in his baptism, but a baptism into his death and into his life. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. And he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus? If you're a Christian here this morning, do you know what's happened to you? You've been baptized into Jesus. If you put your trust or your faith in Jesus to save you, God, by a miracle, has joined you together with Jesus. You're in Jesus. And Paul says, Do you not know that all of you who've had that happen to you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? You were baptized with Jesus. You're united with him. Into, this is interesting, into his death. That means that by faith in Jesus, you have entered under the waters of the judgment of God. You've entered under the the fire of God in judgment. The Bible uses many different metaphors to describe it. But what we know is that as a human being, we could not possibly enter the judgment of God ourselves and come out the other side. To do it, somebody else had to do it for us. Praise God. In the mercy of God, he sent Jesus so we could be united to him so that he would face the judgment of God for us and for our sins. That justice could be done so we could be forgiven. But Paul goes on, he says, we were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It says you've been united with him in his death, but there's even better news. You've been united with him in his life. You've been raised from the grave with him, full of the power of the Holy Spirit to actually change you. 
You've been baptized in fire. You've been baptized in new life by the Holy Spirit. So you can't clean yourself up, Christ City. I know you try, because I try. You can't do it. You can't make yourselves presentable to God by yourselves. I know you try, because I try. And if you're overwhelmed by feelings of guilt and shame this morning, there's good news. You can come to Jesus. You can ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you from your sins if you've never done that before. And if you're already a Christian, you're just full of doubt this morning that your sins cleansed at all, can I encourage you, stop looking at your sin. Look at Jesus. What he's done is enough to cleanse you. His work is complete. So have faith and have courage. So the first way that we see the goodness of Jesus is we see it in the way that Jesus came in his mercy and compassion to purify us from our sins that we could never do on our own. The second thing that we see about the goodness of Jesus in this text is we see his goodness because of the way that he brings us then into the very heart of the love of God. Look at Matthew 3, 16 to 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. With who I am well pleased. And it's a couple things that we need to see in this text. First, the spirit coming as a dove and resting on Jesus, it represents something beautiful in the Bible. It represents a new creation. Back at the very beginning of the Bible, the first words of Genesis chapter 1, the spirit of God hovers over the waters at the beginning of the creation of all things. And here the dove and the the Spirit descending on Jesus, it symbolizes that God in Jesus is recreating humankind. He's making humanity brand new. Humanity that was corrupted and broken and fallen and and sin, God's now remaking it. He's remaking it in the person of Jesus in purity to belong to him forever. It's the first thing we need to see in this text. Second, We see in the text that this new creation purity, this new work that he's doing in Jesus, is all for the purpose of relationship with God. The purpose of being recreated and purified is to belong to God in relationship. And we see that because as Jesus steps out of the water, it's like new humanity is born. And as that happens, he's embraced in relationship with God Most High. The heavens open up, the barrier between 
Humankind and God represented often in scripture and they're wide open. And the Holy Spirit descends, representing the presence of God on Jesus Christ. And he declares over Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I love this text. Um, but one of the reasons I love it is because the more I've thought about it, I've, I've come to see this rejoicing and delight of the Father in Jesus in it. I remember the time before I had kids when I, I saw this beautiful illustration for the first time that, that really caused this text to, to just come to life to me. And what was happening was I went to a seminary in the United States. And they had a lot of big facilities, including uh, a pool and a gymnasium and stuff. And one day I was in their outside pool. They had two pools. And at the outside pool, uh, I was reading a book, as one one does at a, a seminary that has lots of money. And um, uh, while, I was, while I was there, I, I watched this man that I knew come to the pool with his son, his three-year-old son. And he's a bit of an older guy. He had one son that was born to him later in life. And I know the story a little bit, and I, I know it was a bit of a miracle child. And I watched this dad, and he's throwing his son in the air. And catching him and, and the, the light is cascading through the droplets. And it's just glorious. And, and they're playing and they're rejoicing in the way that you only do when you are completely unconscious of the world around you. Just pure mutual delight between father and son. And I thought about this passage of scripture. I thought, what a, a beautiful picture of God's delight, the father's delight in the son. But that delight that I saw there is still only a dim reflection even of what we see in verses 16 to 17. which says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. See the good pleasure of the Father in his Son. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. There's a miracle, something glorious that's happening in this text, Christ said. Because this picture is the first time since humanity's fall into sin, where human beings were separated from God in relationship, where a human being enters into the fullness of relationship with God in the person of Jesus. Not separated, but welcomed delighted in, rejoiced over, celebrated. It's something new and glorious and something that has good news for us because Jesus' mission wasn't just to be loved by God in this way as a human being by himself. His mission was to unite all of us to him to be baptized into Jesus so that we could enter into the same relationship of love that the Father pours out on Jesus. So we would be welcomed into that same love from God Most High. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, 18, it talks about the gospel in this way. It says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's that, that death, that baptism of fire. Why did he do it? that he might bring us to God. It's all for the purpose of bringing humanity back into relationship of love with God. So if you trust in Jesus this morning, 
that means you are saved by a miracle. A miracle of union with Jesus by his Holy Spirit. If you trust in Jesus this morning, you have been united with Jesus in such a way that all the love of the Father that Jesus has, you also have. Jesus himself said this in his prayer to the Father in John 17, 22 to 23. He said, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. He's talking about the church, the disciples that would follow him. I in them, that's in us, in the church, you, the Father, in Jesus, and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. There's a lot in this text. I'm not going to unpack all of it, but notice that last line. That's the important one I want to show you. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. In the same way as you loved me. Do you know what this means? It means that just as the heavens broke and God declared over Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So to the father declares over everyone who has turned to Jesus to save them. And he declares, Amy is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. It means that he declares, Susanna is my Beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. Michael is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. He's bringing you into the love of Jesus. And that is such good news, because it means that there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Can you believe that? That doesn't sound right almost. It sounds too good to be true. That's our problem, by the way. It sounds, we don't believe that God's as good as he said he is. Didn't I tell you that at the beginning? We, he's better than you think he is. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more if you've trusted in Jesus as your savior and there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. And that's so important because we constantly believe that God's favor is toward us simply because it's determined by our actions. Right? We constantly believe that God's favor comes and goes based on how we are acting and how we are living. But that's not the gospel. See, on our bad days, when the first thing we do is sin, those days suck. And then it goes from bad to worse. And then we get in a fight with our roommate or our spouse or our kids as they're getting ready and then we go to work and we're not reconciled and we're just in a bad mood because all this stuff's already happened. And then we, we are super grumpy and we actually are just this terrible witness for Jesus with our, with our coworkers. And it's just, it's just awful. And we come home and we go to bed and what do we think? I know what you think because you're just like me. You think God doesn't love me today. You think God is punitive towards me because of all the bad stuff I did today. You think, if you have good gospel categories, at the very best, God's tolerating me right now because he has to because Jesus died for me. But he doesn't love me because I know what I did. 
And then on the flip side, on the days that, that you wake up and you have a really good day, right? And the first thing you do is you have wonderful time with God and prayer and his word. You're like, oh man, that was so rich. You're so pumped up and you go to work. And you, share, you share the gospel with, with your coworker and it's amazing. And you go home and you serve someone sacrificially in love and you're like, oh, this is just, this is awesome. You fall asleep that day and I know you because you're just like me. And you think, God must really like me today. Maybe I'm his favorite child. You know, it's been a pretty good day. I pleased him a lot today. But on a good day or a bad day, and God doesn't love you any more or any less based on what you've done. You certainly can please him with your actions, but his love stays the same. He loves you fully and completely and always for one reason. So hold on to this. God loves you fully and completely for one reason. It's this. Because you are united to Jesus by faith. And by virtue of being united to Jesus, you've been cleansed from your sin forever. You've been welcomed into the fullness of the love of God forever for one reason. Because you've been united to Jesus. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Because of Christ, Zephaniah 3.17 is true forever for you. The Lord your God is in your midst, Christ City. A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will and he does exalt over you with loud singing. Our job is simply to trust that he is as good as he says he is. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you and we come confessing our unbelief. Our problem isn't that that you've not been good enough towards us. Our problem is that we don't believe you've been as good as you actually have been. So God, I pray against all the unbelief that is in this room and in our hearts that you would annihilate it in the overflowing abundance of your goodness that you would overwhelm us with just how loving and wonderful you are. So we'd stop making excuses for our sin. That's not the way to purify ourselves. Instead, we just come to Jesus in confidence, knowing that you are the God that forgives and makes new and changes us. Lord, we pray that you would continue to do the work that you are already doing for your glory and for our eternal good through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.